Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, and this is the recorded audio of a DM-only live stream in which I prepare for our next live session and chat with fans twice a week at my Rogue Watson YouTube channel. Please note that these streams are full of DM spoilers. This was not originally intended for an audio-only format, but has been converted to a podcast for your convenience. The channel and by extension this podcast are supported by Patreon. If you'd like to support my work, you can do so at patreon.com slash roguewatson. Enjoy the show. Watson here, freelance writer, player of games, writer of words, recorder of videos, and a tabletop role-playing aficionado. Welcome to a slightly delayed but still live uh, Thursday edition of my bi-weekly behind-the-scenes DM-only live stream, Crafting Icewind Down, which I build right and prepare for our next session of A Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. You're playing characters Valrov and Frey, Celeste, Edmund, or Thimbleweed. This is not the right stream for you, but for the rest of you, welcome. Of course, there will be some spoilers. We stream our D&D sessions live on YouTube every Friday. Watch all of our D&D sessions and reviews here on YouTube. You can follow me on Twitter at Rogue Watson and join our official Discord server with invite link in the description below. If you would like to support the channel, please check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. For our campaign, we use roll20.net, and for streaming, I use open broadcaster software with Streamlabs. We have had some pretty gnarly uh, winter storm ice weather here in North Texas, and long story short, it has caused me to slightly reconfigure my streaming schedule uh, for uh, today. The oldest has been literally out of school for the last three days, so... You know, <laughs> uh, um, but uh, may, hopefully she'll go back tomorrow. We were able to get out and go to the grocery store today at least, so that's good. And let me tell you, uh, it only takes like half an inch of ice to like completely shut down everything in Texas. Uh, and we haven't even really gotten snow. It's just been ice and it's like super, super dangerous. And it's just rains and then it freezes overnight and then it's just shitty in the morning. So but thankfully a little bit better today uh, and hopefully we'll have school and stuff uh, tomorrow. Of course, in uh, Icewind Dale, it is always cold. And we are talking about Aetherin, Chapter 7, The Doom of Aetherin. And uh, specifically the first couple areas in here, because that's probably where the players are going to end up. Hello, CJ, Nate, Leakies. Did you make it through Ice Mageddon? Yeah, I think so. Currently, uh, currently have survived this long, at least. Thankfully, I had enough food on hand for a while. My wife smartly got out of the house on Monday, right before it came, to get us... Uh, a couple more things from the grocery store so we could last. That was the big issue. All right, so uh, Etherin, so we're going to start the session. Uh, this actually, I could, I could put this on the this on the token layer. The players can see that to Caves of Hunger, a little feet thing. Why not? That is correct, isn't it? With the yep, okay. I think that's weird how the, the city's way smaller than we think it is. Um. So they're gonna long rest here first. We do have a slight issue with them following the Majin. They actually kept that Majin alive and didn't really jack with it um, from its position at whatever H33, I think. From which, by the way, if you read my recaps, I actually do try to annotate um, the rooms players are in because I think that's kind of useful for uh, DMs to try to get oriented in where the players are. I realize if you're a player, then the little you know H32 or whatever isn't gonna mean anything to you, but that's kind of why I do that. 
He has H33. I replaced the mummy with the mage in, which I think works pretty well. I enjoy having the mage in there. It was a it was a weird like what the hell's going on here? And they're still learning from it. And they were able to get some information from the dryad that these are like constructs that are you know created as servants and um, uh, labor. I get laborers and guards and everything else for this uh, city to try to create this kind of you know bougie um high class wizard city that also fell from the sky and so you're gonna have some kind of fun things happening like i, I do love the idea of um irolithus i've been pronouncing it irolithus by the way and i think there's another r in there and i think i did the same thing with aviarcturus i think i've like left out an r <laughs> the whole time i've been pronouncing it i've been pronouncing it crandall yeah ear ear all earth i don't know how the fuck is there a Romanus Personae somewhere where I can not sound like a freaking idiot. From the far north. Pronunciation guide. Lord. Yeah, Arveatris. I said it was an Aviatris. A southern coming on. Uh, H-I. Oh, God. It starts with an ear. Eriolarthus. Boy, I was way off. Samsonite. <laughs> I was way off. Eriolarthus. Eriolarthus, Eriolarthus, because that's the the emphasis on the syllable. Eriolarthus, 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 Eriolarthus. I have been way wrong on that. Nobody's been correcting me either. Eriolarthus. <laughs> I gotta say it a couple times. <laughs> so that's the spire of Eri. Fuck it, I can't do it. Eriolarthus, Eriolarthus, Eriolarthus. Okay, it's gonna start being just gibberish to me. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna actually instead of putting the name down, copy and paste this in my notes. Maybe that'll help me. Eriolarthus. <laughs> that's that's hard, man. That's hard. Copyright correctly. Eriolarthus. This. Okay. Okay. How did this campaign compare to the jungle one you ran before? Forgot the name. <laughs> you forgot the name of one of the most popular campaigns uh, that Wizards has put out uh, that, that gets mentioned quite frequently in all D&D circles. Um, I don't mean to drag you like that, but it is uh, Tomb of Annihilation is the name of it. Uh, <clears throat> um, well, I, I'd love to ask all of you that question, I think. Um, how do you all feel about this campaign versus our last one? I know part of that might be, you know, the, the characters and things that I might not have as much control over, like who the characters are playing and how beloved, you know, their things are. Um, but in terms of uh, the stuff that I can do, I, I think Tomb is, is still got to be a top five um, contender for you know, their best, which honestly is not saying like it's super competitive either. <laughs> I think they've had a lot of hits and a lot of misses for 5e campaigns. Um, and, and frankly, I would probably put Rhyme of the Frost made in the top five as well. I think Rhyme has a lot more story problems that don't, that does not really make sense. It's not very cohesive. That's caused to me to do a lot more work. And I think what's suffered is I haven't been able to do those cool, like uh, character specific side quest arcs that I did in Tomb because Tomb had all the story stuff pretty much already set there. Um, Tomb had some problems too, like the pacing of the jungle crawl isn't great and I had to stretch out their lower levels to uncomfortable lengths of time. 
Um, but otherwise, and I mean, the whole Mega Dungeon's fantastic. Omu's fantastic. Like, a lot of it's got some really good stuff going on there. Um, and, I, and I did kind of, like, take out the Death Timer and Entomb and all that. Um, Rhyme, I think, has some great set pieces and some cool ideas, but it's taken a lot of work for me to work a story around it. However, I will say, because of that work, I think the story in this campaign is head and shoulders above the Tomb campaign, because the Tomb campaign, the story was just... Hey, there's this horrible death curse happening, and we have to discuss. And it's somewhere; it's coming from Cholt, and we have to figure out where it is. So it's just one big exploration thing, and you do a bunch of you know little adventures along the way. And then you realize, okay, it's in Omu, and you realize, okay, it's in the bottom of this big dungeon. It's it never really has any like progression based on the story. It doesn't have any really NPCs that are invested. Some villains is a big villain problem, which I tried to fix a little bit with the Sone Sisters, but whereas here I've tried to use multiple NPCs, use multiple villains. I even got to introduce, you know, the Frost Maiden as a character at one point. Like I feel like there's been a lot more interesting story stuff that I've been able to do. Now whether that translates to all of you watching um you know watching this as a show, I'd be curious to know how you feel about that and when maybe if, if one's stronger than the other. But uh, I, I've, I've enjoyed, I think, both for different reasons. But I will admit that this one has taken a lot more work on my end to make it work, if that makes sense. <laughs> Excellent question, though. Not bowling series yet, sorry, I can't judge. <laughs> Uriarthus, Lich King. I was doing my crafting annihilation with you in the background when I'm taking a break. Nice. Persons from a Demon's Protector repairing, ease of use storyline. Yeah, so I, as I think I mentioned, I think this one has been a lot harder uh, to prepare because the story is so disjointed and so wonky. And yet, um, in a way, it's also helped me as a DM. I think it's, it's, this one has allowed, this one has allowed me to grow as a DM in a way that Tomb maybe didn't narratively wise. Uh, obviously like running dungeons and, you know, exploration and stuff, Tomb was awesome at, but in terms of trying to run a interesting story that has multiple, like, you know, journal entry updates and, and multiple factions caring about it, NPCs and things. I think Rhyme has been a lot more satisfying to run from that point of view. And and it's good to require that amount of work for me uh, to an extent also and, and just helps me grow as a DM and as somebody who's interested in, in writing that narrative content. So I, I don't have any uh, regrets, I guess you can say, uh, for running this one for sure. But I, I think I've enjoyed them both in different ways. But uh, it'd be interesting to put up like a poll, I think, for folks uh, after this one's uh, said and done and wrapped up, uh, where they stand on the overall uh, adventures that we've done. I like them both. Yep, that's the that's the easy answer right there. So as I mentioned, we've got the Majin. Um, I they're going to long rest. They're going to level up at the start of this session, uh, and they can't really stop the Majin without the Majin without just turning into a combat encounter. And it sounded like they're going to try to do something to track him, like literally put like breadcrumbs in the in its pocket or something um so maybe they'll be able to follow it and it seems like that was something they were interested in doing and that was an interesting thing like you've got this this npc set on rails that would be following you know a path they want to see where that path goes now as written we actually have to go back into caves of hunger for that i believe it it works in the library the library is H33, although there's nothing about the library section that mentions this thing. Mummy dressed in tenor black robes, wearing a golden face mask, is trapped in the Western world and free itself. The mummy was created by Netherese priest to serve as a lore keeper in Etherin. Uh, the walls reduce to zero hit points. The mummy is released and makes its way to area 
H39, which is the exit to Etherin, and from there to the library in Etherin, which is area Y9, which is right here. Uh, it ignores the characters that interfere with it. So it's set on rails to just enter in the library. Now, unfortunately, if we go to the actual library section, I believe there's no act, there's no mention of this thing if it appears or any, like how I, I deal with that. And the library, we also mentioned, is going to be tricky, although somebody in the chat said, like, well, here's ways you can do the Arcanoloth, which I respected. Um, I, I'm, I'm still of two minds on how to use this. Maybe I just need to read more about um, Arcanoloths and see uh, what I can do. Um, Refus, it was uh, Refus who mentioned, sorry, I was looking that up, um, some good uh, tips on maybe how to use the Ar Arcanoloth. Um, in fact, I'll just read what uh, he said. I'd be inclined to keep the Arcanoloth in as they are incredibly intelligent and powerful casters. This is in our Discord uh, server, by the way. You can have it work with the Valish if it, if it learns they want to get inside the central tower, seeing as Arcanoth is looking for something and generally like that power, or kill Valish, replacing him. Alter, alter self is an easy stat upgrade. Uh, I think I've made Valish pretty strong, though. Valish is like the evocation wizard or something, and he's uh, kind of a badass with his stat block. I'd have to go back and see. I think it's this one, the evoker wizard from uh, Mordenkainen's, which is a CR9. And just as, like, auto attacks, he can do a plus 7 with 25 force damage, and he makes three of them. That's kind of insane. <laughs> That's not even casting spells, too. It can't be counterspelled. It's just like his auto attack is this insane thing, and then his actual ability, which, again, is not a traditional spell. Uh, he can do this giant explosion for 98 damage and even do it around certain kinds. And then if he actually wants to cast a spell, then he can cast, like, a lightning bolt, and he's got mage armor and all that good shit, so... The Arcanoloth is still maybe a slight upgrade. I'll have to look at that stat block, but uh, that's interesting. I'm using a lot of DMs Guild material for planning 2A to level 20, but using your experience in Alliance to help me somewhere. Wow, level 20. That's crazy. There is some good shit on the DMs Guild, though, for uh, exploring, like, Mesero. I think there was a really good expansion for that one um, that, I've, that I've seen on there and hadn't, you know, explored because I feel like there was plenty of content as written, but I can definitely see where if you wanted to run a full up to 20 campaign and... Uh, that's, you would definitely want to get some side content. I always think that, you know, and maybe it's just us because we spend two years already already playing that length of content that I don't want to go beyond that and stick with the same characters in the same area. I want to explore different things. And I know the few times I'm a player, um, while it's fun to progress different characters, obviously, and, and explore their stories, I also have like alt-itis when it comes to playing like different I guess older school RPGs at this point, but I, I enjoy playing different kinds of characters versus the same one over and over and over again. Like as much as I love the acting folks, I don't know how they do that or they play literally the same character for like 15 years or something. I'm considering running a new in-person pre-published. Boy, I'm getting a lot of uh, chat here. I, maybe I need to switch my time for streaming. This one's um, a little more dicey for me normally because my oldest is at school. So I'd have to like immediately stop it and scramble to go get her from class. That's why I don't do it at this time normally. Considering running a new in-person pre-published game, I am considering Icewind Dale, Witchlight, or Dragonlance. I think Eric is biased against Dragonlance. Which one would recommend? I'm biased for Dragonlance. Um, I, I don't know if you, you saw my review, or maybe that's what you meant to say. I don't know if you saw my review for it, but I gushed and gushed and gushed about how good that Dragonlance 5e campaign is. I would easily say it is one of the uh, probably top five. Honestly, uh, again, that's <laughs> it's not the most competitive uh, ranking, but if I had to just quickly, if I had all the things in front of me and I was doing one of those little tier maker lists, um, I think I would probably put, I mean, fuck, we've got, I would probably put uh, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, uh, Curse of Strahd, Tomb of Annihilation, 
Um, what else would be a top fiver for me? Maybe Princes, just because I still love the dungeon crawls that they do, even though that story is also a little wonky. But I think Dragonlance would be in my top five. Like, it's of the pre-published. It's real good. Now, it's not Sword Coast. It's not Forgotten Realms. So if that's a stickler, then I totally get it. But it's, and it's another, unfortunately, they're all, you know, level one through 10 or level one through 11, like that part. So it's hard to uh, put that against Dragonlance because it is just one of the same as all of those. But man, it's it's really well done. It's a little on rails for the first, like, third of it. I won't go into spoilers. Um, but it also does a good job of making you care about the story, and really, and really does a good job of feeling like it's a war-torn world, which to me is what makes Dragonlance interesting. And it's not just another fantasy adventure, um, although you know they all have their certain things they're all about. But I, I like that they they actually it does feel like there's a war going on, and you're doing war shit, um, and then you're doing cool like Indiana Jones shit at one point, which I think Indiana Jones is also technically an adventure movie that takes place during a war and has war shit going on. Um, and I feel like that's kind of the, this, they do a lot of that similar theme in the Dragonlance one, and it has an amazing climax and just cool stuff going on by the end of it. So I, I can't gush enough about how good I think Dragonlance is. Um, what's the other one you mentioned? Icewind Dale. Obviously, you can see all of my work here, and I'd recommend it. Witchlight. Um, I I think is probably mid tier for me. Um, I'm not a big Feywild person, although I probably could run a D&D adventure in there. Uh, obviously, I think the way to do it would be to run it like an Alice in Wonderland or uh, Jim Henson Labyrinth or something, where it's just this weird, wacky stuff going on, but with, you know, violence and danger, <laughs> unlike whimsy, necessarily. Although some stuff can be whimsical. Um, the same designer who did the Expanded Towers of Aetherin, which I'm using here to um, expand out the... Towers of Ethan <laughs> um, also did some really good adventure content for Witchlight. Um, every single one of the three areas, um, he added some new little mini dungeon crawls to that to me is exactly puts what that entire adventure lacks because I think D&D is best when you're dungeon crawling. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to be dungeon crawling constantly, but to me, those are like everything else is the in-between moments and then the, the big set piece, the big things that you really want to get to and, and experience are the dungeon crawls. That's what this whole rule system is like designed for in a, in a lot of ways. And unfortunately, I think Witchlight is horribly lacking in dungeon crawls. There's basically, you go around to, you know, again, I'll try to spoil things too much in case there's players watching, but you go down to these three main, the Feywild area you go to is divided into like three sections. And each of those three sections only has one dungeon each. And it's basically like kind of the climax of each of those areas. And then when you get to the, after you do all three of them, there's one final dungeon. And I didn't think that final dungeon, I don't think is very well designed. And then the individual ones are okay. Um, the story is good, but they do the hag thing again. And I feel like wizards all just fucking defaults to hags constantly as villains. And I, hags are great. They're great villains. And honestly, probably classic fey villains as well. But unfortunately, you end up using them in a lot of different things. And I used the hags a lot in uh, Tomb of Annihilation for my campaign. So that's the only reason uh, I would especially be turned off of that one. But to me, I think it's a solid... Uh, mid-tier. I don't think it's bad. I just don't think it was very stellar. And the carnival thing in the beginning, uh, the actual witch-like carnival is fine. Um, it's just kind of a goofy stuff you do at level one, and I don't think they particularly tie in very well to uh, necessarily what's going on in the rest of the campaign either. Just a weird excuse of how you get transported into the Feywild. But yeah, I am uh, I'm well-versed in because <laughs> I review all these things. Uh, fun fact, after this stream is over, uh, I've got scheduled, I'll go ahead and give you a tease for those of you all watching live. You will see me review the Pathfinder 2nd Edition 
beginner box, which is on roll 20. It's probably been on roll 20 for a while, uh, but I'm putting my proverbial money where my mouth is, or at this point, mouth where my other mouth is, uh, by mentioning, you know, I do the whole OGL drama, right? And I mentioned, hey, I need to cover more things outside of uh, fifth edition. And this is one of the steps I'm doing to do that is to cover uh, Pathfinder. So you will look at that video. You will look at that video <laughs> after I'm done streaming here. Uh, but I will say that I was I was pretty positive on it. All right, so we've got the Majin heading to the library. Unfortunately, the library is not um, mentioned on how to use this character, and I'm tempted to actually have the Majin die on the way to the library. Do you think that would be terribly um, anti like disappointing? I guess for the player, because what I assume is going to happen is they're going to long rest here at the entrance. They're going to level up to thirteen by the way, um, and then they're going to follow whatever breadcrumb trail they left to follow their mage, unless they get distracted and they're like, well, hell, there's this cool stadium. There's this cool stadium right here we can check out. There's this tower over here. There's this big glowing thing. Valin's, Valin and Valish and Nas are all going to want to go over there and check out the Mithalar. So, you know, maybe they'll be convinced to just leave it behind or track them down later or something. So I, I'll, I'll need to prep all of this area because I'm not sure where they're going to go, which to me is part of the fun of having the Lost City thing. It, it's more work for the DM, obviously, compared to a standard dungeon crawl. But I think from a player's perspective, giving them that amount of... You know, you're loosening the leash, basically, because on a dungeon, you know, you've got them leashed technically where they're, okay, they're going to be in the dungeon, so I just have to prepare these rooms. Whereas here, I have to like, okay, shit, i got to prepare like you know a quarter of the city. But I think it's really satisfying for the players because it feels like they are making those choices and driving the narrative along because they're deciding where to go and what all to do. You must get escape. <laughs> exactly. Dragonlance does look tasty. Such awesome lore. I can start listening to Dragonlance books on Audible thanks to review. Oh, good. Cool. Um, I, I'd be fascinated to know if they still hold up. I was such a huge fan, but that was back when I was like, you know, a teenager in high school. I think I read the most of them throughout when I was in high school and college. Um, and then a few years after college to me is when they dried up there was like a 10 year gap or so where they like stopped doing Dragonlands. i don't know if it was a rights issue or what happened there and i, I feel like i'd kind of grown out of them in, in a way and, and started exploring other things um i think i discovered uh you know when i at some point during college i think i started reading like game of thrones for example I started getting like a more serious maybe fan and i don't want to poo-poo Dragonlands too much and, and call it juvenile but you know it's a very traditional style of fantasy and i've i feel like i wonder if my tastes have changed although i'm running you know D right now and still running it in that style so maybe i would still dig it quite a bit i still have most of my books on the shelf i didn't actually ever uh trade those ones in because i cherish them so much hey revis i actually mentioned and quoted you earlier in the stream uh with your arcana law stuff on the discord so thank you for mentioning that stuff it's true there's hags everywhere they love the hags i mean i know jeremy crawford does a great hag voice too it's, it's inspired <laughs> the acting games. Um, so I was going to ask, do we? Do you think it's okay for me to kill off the Majin as it makes its way to the library versus ending up at the library just because I don't really have anything for it to do once it reaches the library other than, you know, leading the players there. So it's it's a weird thing where this, this Majin didn't really have any purpose. Um, you almost expected the player to, to fuck up its purpose by just attacking them at some point, but because they did such a good job, and now I feel like, oh, do I need to really reward them by having this thing survive all the way to the library and then have that be meaningful in some way. Maybe it like opens the way to the library that would normally be closed to them or something. Or, or I can have it 
have them find the body somewhere, maybe to where they would know like where it's headed, like maybe, you know, create the the encounter like, uh, you know, here or something. And then it would, so they'll be like, all right, it was headed, you know, towards this, and this looks like a, I don't know, describe a, what a Netherese library would look like, but have it be like torn apart by Nothics or something might, might be uh, interesting and kind of add to the danger horror element a bit. I wonder if I can pull up, uh, actually, Necropolis is probably where. I wish there were slightly more journal entries here, so I don't have to keep scrolling up and down this giant part. Uh, because I want to look up what the counters were. Oh, there's a name. What was it? Ear, Eriolarth. Nah, I can't do it. Eriolarthus. Eriolarthus. The demi lich. Eriolarthus. By the way, I'm not going to make him a demi lich. He's going to be an elder brain. Elder brain. I mean, there's brains in jars. Why would not make him an elder brain? And that, and of course, we just did a freaking lich at the end of annihilation. So, like an easy fix. Uh, tomb tapper could be good. Although there's a tomb tapper that I'm going to use here in the Tower of Abjuration. Again, this is from the uh, Expanded Towers of Magic. And uh, I've already put them on the map also. Uh, this is going to be a pretty simple smash and grab. Uh, one player may get turned into a little crystal and get thrown into the little bottom area. They have to fight a bunch of mage in. They get down there, they have to kill, destroy one of their own magic items, which should not be a problem. They get one of the rights of the Arcane Octad, which is the goal in each of these towers. And when they're leaving... This tomb tapper appears and attacks them, which I will be looking at modifying this tomb tapper and maybe adding some new abilities. I think I started doing that on Monday's stream. I think the mage serves his purpose, lead them to the city. I see something to guide the players. No, I really don't. Like this campaign has gone on for almost two years. Hey, Andrew, <laughs> it feels like that to me also. <laughs> if you, I've mentioned this before, but if you look back at the beginning streams I did like the craft the craft the pre-campaign crafting streams I mentioned the fact like hey this could probably be another two year long campaign given the length of it and sure enough we're you know it would only take another like eight or nine weeks for us to hit uh, I think 23 months which is how long tomb was and I definitely suspect that this will take uh, pretty close to that although another big choice we have to make and something I was going to ask all of you is should I do a similar thing I did for Omu, which is which is not me doing it, was, it was written in the book in Omu, in Tomb of Annihilation, which was, hey, the players, even though there's nine shrines, the players should only do, like, you know, five of them or something, and then let your, let the other factions there, which was the Red Wizards, go and do the other, you know, three or four or something. And that worked out really well, and, and as me, the DM, I could pick and choose and be like, all right, well, these are the shittiest ones, so those are the ones the other faction's gonna do. And then, like, one of them has already been done by, um, you know, Rosnisi and, and the Fan of the Night Serpent, so that's one. So they only had to do, like, five of them or something. So in the Towers of Aetherin, I could do a similar thing, or maybe I only want them, you know, maybe they don't, they don't have to do all eight of them. Maybe they could have some of their other uh, NPCs with them split off, and that's a great excuse to be like, hey, here's, you know, Velish and Nask going to do their thing, so they don't have to be with you guys again, like they weren't in the cave. And maybe they can go handle some of the Towers which is tricky because I need to know that as soon as possible so I don't have to literally prep those towers. <laughs> that would be very handy for me. Um, it also means I would have to go through, pick and choose which ones I like and don't like, and I actually do like most of them in uh, the Expanded Towers of Magic. I, I like a lot of that content, so that would be tricky for me as the DM to even uh, make that choice, and unfortunately it would be less... Um, 
in Omu, it was the case of like, hey, some of like the, the, the people come on and say, we already did these or we're planning on doing these. You go do these. Whereas in this case, it would be more of the players having the agency of deciding, well, I guess we can do this one, this one, and you guys do that one. So there's no way for me, the DM necessarily convey to the players which ones that they should do versus not do. Like it would be heartbreaking to me if they don't do necromancy. Um, evocation, I think, is really fun and interesting. Abjuration, honestly, is probably one of the lesser interesting ones. And yet, because it's one of the first towers, I feel like they would do it. Um, divination, I think, is is pretty interesting. Like the ones I would probably want them to skip, maybe, would be like enchantment and transmutation. Oh, illusion. God, please don't let them skip illusion. Illusion's incredible. It's just one big RP scene that, so- that sounds absolutely fabulous. Yeah, so I'm, I kind of answering that question, Refus. The question of some of the towers a bit rubbish. Um, they don't trust the NPCs. That's a good point. They probably do not to go do that. So that would be something that maybe that's a way I can suggest like, hey, we'll go do that. And they'll be like, fuck, no, you're not. You're not going to do that. Now, the interesting thing is similar to Omu, however, you have to have all of the rights together to get into the area. So it doesn't do either party either good to withhold that information because they all want to get into the same thing. So even if you don't trust them, um, you still like it's a it's a back and forth deal, right? Like they have they still have to combine the information that they learn uh, in order to make it into that final area. So it's a weird like, yeah, we don't trust them, but, you know, maybe you could go do some of that work for us. But I, I think I wouldn't necessarily force that on the players. I think I would let them. Uh, decide that versus me or, or I, I could have the NPCs uh, suggest that as well and be like hey we can cover more ground if we cover some of these towers and then maybe if they ask them like hey which towers do you do then I as the DM can be like alright maybe they'll just randomly say how about we handle the you know tower transmutation or something I think that one's the weakest one um, enchantment is probably next enchantment has a cool ublex thing but I just don't know how well it, I might have to scale that one up for uh, the level that they're at is the only issue but I think all the others are pretty damn cool. <laughs> the worst ones off the NBCs, yeah. But I would just say, unlike the unlike the Omu shrines, I actually like most of the the content that is here. Uh, so if we want the Majin to get killed, what could have killed the Majin? And another thing I'm doing in my campaign is I'm fluctuating with having these uh, far realm incursions. Basically, as the Mythalar is damaged, I can actually look this up. Is it far from? It's from Tasha's supernatural regions, far realm. Let's see. Yeah, far realm effects. So I'm going to use kind of this table, maybe combined with this table, and then some of my own stuff to try to create like random events and encounters that that are going to happen throughout Etherin as they're walking around. Obviously, I don't want to be slowing the action down too much, but as it is, I think it's a little uh, undertuned here, especially because one of them is... I mean, Frost Giant Skeleton with Winter Wolves is interesting, but it says that only makes sense if Aurel's in Etherin, which that does make sense. Um, and then the Cultists, the Shardland Berserkers, is probably what I would use if Avarice is in Etherin, which I do want her to show up, but she wouldn't show up until later on, once the players start uh, either at some point when they swing back around towards the entrance, basically, is probably when she'll show up with her forces uh, or have been there a bit. Uh, Tomb Tapper's great, but I don't know how often I want to, you know, overuse those. Cold Light Walkers are great, but 
Should only make sense if they're in ether. And I guess, could I have just cold light walkers here in general? They're pretty cool. We haven't got to use them too much. I might keep that one on the table, actually. Especially as, like, people walking around that just fire this freaking light out. Pretty decently strong, too. For You could do a couple CR5s. I mean, they got 80 hit points, and if, you, if I start them at range, they can just start doing that range attack like crazy. That might not be a bad choice. Uh, but I also need to look up what are some good, like, alien-ass uh, aberrations to use as well. Thinking... Maybe like star spawn type things. Try that. I'm gonna take it a hot minute to filter through the ridiculous amount of monsters that exist now. Obviously, mage in as an encounter is good, but it wouldn't make sense for this purpose. And it would probably I'd probably be doing it as like malfunctioning, you know, I, I, like the AI or like the androids, like in the first uh, Alien movie. Uh, you know, have like malfunctioning androids. Okay, don't. Or is no that one's not filtered yet. That filter. Apply, apply. There we go. I think that one's better. Honestly, some of the creatures I used for uh the Dazon clones would probably work pretty well too. I had some good ones. Find his corpse puddle as he's grinding himself against the force field. <laughs> Random pseudopod comes to a tear in the fab reality and splat goes the mage in. Yeah. Um, I do plan on doing the big tentacle stuff. I'm probably going to use the cosmic horror uh, stat block to actually do that. The astral devourer. How do you look at this one? Oh, there we go. That's gross looking. Just a bunch of worms with teeth. <laughs> What is it about tentacles? We just have like a real problem with tentacles. As like a species. We look at tentacles, we're like, oh, that's fucking crazy. <laughs> I find this worm. CR8. This is kind of a cool creature. You can split into two new. How big is this thing? Oh, it's only medium. Okay. I'm going to have to keep that one on the back burner. Divide and recombine. From uh, Tomb of Beasts 2. Snapper. Uh, that's weird looking. It's a dude with like sharp teeth. Alanoth. There we go. That's a good looking one. That looks pretty horrifying. Shadowfell creature. They got matters. I think we could still use it. Uh, what are we talking here? CR 11. Got a tentacle attack. One thing you could do too is, is combine these with just a normal fight and just have it be like, you know, they're fighting a battle and then a, a tear opens up and like the hunger of Hadar, you know, essentially is cast right there. In fact, that's not a bad thing to put in a, a farm incursion. Is Hunger of Dar the one I'm thinking of that has the inky realm of um, tentacles? <laughs> Such a cool spell. Burbalang.
real Cthulhu-ass stuff. Real Cthulhu stuff. Onoth is grabbing teleport. Oh, that thing's gross. Can teleport? Oh yeah, legendary action. Magically teleports. The 60 feet occupied space you can see. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, so it could grab somebody. Or makes up to four tentacle attacks. That's nice. That action economy back. Hairless cat? That is not a hairless cat. Looking like Drake. What are you talking about? Large CR10 with Mind Ravage. This is the Catanoctrix. This looks like a, a creature you would find in one of the Metroid games. Like an alien dragon looking thing. Well, I could go real fun with this. Crazy creatures. Nothics are still going to be like the basic of what they were transformed into, so I could use Nothics. Unfortunately, we just had a Nothic fight. So I don't know if I want to have that be like the first one. Uh, Choker was pretty cool looking, as I recall. Yeah, that looks like an alien creature. Look at that. He's got tentacle arms and legs. Long alien head and just serrated predator teeth. Yet it's a CR1, so give me this, but like, yeah, way stronger. It looks cool, though. Yeah, I could take that and just upscale a little bit. Or, I guess it, you could make a horde of them. That's an idea. Chul Juggernaut. I bet he could reflavor that as a... Okay, here we go. Core Spawn. I think I was going to think about Star Spawn. These that are actually supposed to be kind of alien-esque. Oh, hell yeah. Look at that Chul Juggernaut. What is this from? Uh, manual expanded. Oh, okay. It's been a while since I looked at that book. That one just had, uh, I think, variants of the existing monsters. God, all those monster manual expanded books are fantastic. Telekinetic pull. Tentacle. Yeah, this is great. CR10, too. Nice. It is high CR, yeah. But you know what? They're level 13, so... Squadrobed is literally tentacles. Is that just all? It's from the Ag Inc. Uh, adventure. <laughs> it's awesome. Cluster of four sucker tentacles with a pulsing mass of ethereal light as a central body. A creature of the Far Realm. Yep. Pretty much exactly what I'm going for. Uh, just tentacles, CR4, yeah. Just tentacles everywhere. <laughs> okay, that's a cool one too. We've got a lot of cool ideas. I don't want to go too, you know, these are, a lot of these are supposed to be like kind of random encounter-esque. You don't want to go too overboard with like these just random giant boss fights necessarily. And and maybe it'd be a cool thing if... um. 
I don't know, some like the players could just see some of these happening and not necessarily have it happen like right in front of them and they have to fight it, but like maybe they'll see, you know, like like in the mist, um, where they do end up fighting some a lot of the stuff, but others are just th- are just creepy things that they see. They're like, oh shit, this is getting real dangerous. Especially at the very end of the mist, where that the like giant like brontosaurus one's just walking by and they're like, Well, I guess we gotta kill ourselves. <laughs> We're so fucked up. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so Elder Brain is what we're going to do for our, uh, maybe final boss, although I'll probably have the Elder Brain just be the thing guarding the Mythalar, so they have to take this out, you know, with a bunch of other minions and things, but then the final, final showdown will probably be some combination of all the different villains they've got, and like, the Frost Maiden there, and it'll be hopefully a big, you know, culmination of a lot of the choices and friends and enemies they've made along the way, and possibly I want there to be a really cool... Um, tough choice where like somebody has to choose to like attune to it in order to stop it from exploding and like that's going to be maybe a series of checks to where it either kills you or maybe you could ascend to godhood or something insane could happen but I am willing to let that happen for sure only reached the I's and F's there's so many good ones I've I've barely gone through this list and I've found uh, some really good options flying horror is pretty creepy that's from Ravnica that looks undead. It's an aberration. Okay. The R3, that's a little bit more beta. Something that can use in mass versus uh, giant boss things. There was, uh, what was it called? The ones that have like the in front of them, where there were some really creepy looking ones for that. Like there was like the hunger and are those all aberration. Gibbering, Mather obviously would be a good one. Um, you just have the you know, have them spilling out of the ground, gibbering horror? Is that a... from Also from Monster Manual Expanded 1. Hello. This must have recently gotten added to Roll20. I don't remember seeing these usually. Larger and deadlier type of gibbering mouther. It's exactly what I like. They are sick. Yeah, that's fantastic. Keeping all these tabs open like I'm scrolling through my browser. <laughs> Star Spawn of Cthulhu is like CR15. That's probably overboard. Eorian monster from the Wild Mount manual feels like Nether's experiment. I think I do have Wild Mount in here. If it's aberration, it should show up. Uh, unless I did, I just miss it. Under Aor, I don't see that one on here. Avaleth to Ahu to Alexian to Arboreal. Sandbosom. So many good choices. That's a greater luchador. Right? Grell is a pretty classic one to do, but I think Grells actually appear quite often in the Sword Coast in general, so maybe that one's less uh, thrilling. Just scrolling through, looking at some options. Oh, yeah, I kind of missed the... Where's the core spawns I missed up there? Light Devourer. Well, I really have to look at these Monster Man Expanded ones. Those are kind of new for me. Can use Mind Flayers. Mind Witness is good, but we kind of used Mind Witness already in this campaign. Mordant Snare. That's all from uh, Spelljammer. 
Sorrow Spawn Monstrosity, the Aeorian. Ah, okay, so it's got the in front of them. Ooh, look at that. You want to talk about Cthulhu? That looks 100%. Big is this thing? A CR15. Okay, maybe I'm going overboard here. <laughs> but what you can do is you can look at some of those abilities, not put the creature on the map, but literally use, you know, maybe some of its things. Like this thing grabs people with its tentacles and turns them into zombies somehow. Like maybe you could do creepy things with that. So like have them appear out of the portal, but don't necessarily use the full, you know, creature. Maybe have it half stuck into the portal. So it's trying to claw its way through. It'd be pretty creepy. I don't think I can use that full stat block though. Oh yeah, this is where that, which I think the expanded tower is already, came. yeah, I could already use some of those new Nothics. Only in the peas. Spelljammer does have some good ones. Sirlons are really creepy, like worm dudes. That one's good. Mind Blight. It's kind of similar to the one I use. Oh, I'm just, I got addicted to looking at creatures now. Considering horror. Jesus. <laughs> There's some real nightmare shit in here. Yeah, they're all big boys, though. <laughs> 15. <laughs> Maybe not so much with one, two, reward with that. Our spawn Mangler, that's a good looking one. It doesn't show the image on there. Star spawn Hulk's a CR 10. Is the Mangler a little better? Yeah, CR 5, that's a good one. Got a bunch of claws. Okay. I think we've got some really good options to use. Whoa, Strider. Was that the one I was thinking of? Also, I'm not seeing the these anywhere. I pissed, I passed the these. Look at this thing. This thing is so fucking creepy. Just like super long limbs and like no face. That is crazy. Cosmic blasphemers. Punched to long-limbed horrors. That's what I'm picturing, like, walking around all creepily. It's got the fucking Beholder anti-magic cone. That is jacked up. Much cooler than their little table they've got here, which involves gargoyles, which just seems so... not fun to fight against at level 13. The Majin will be fun when I, when I get a good group together, but I don't want to use that as my first group that's going to rip to, that maybe ripped apart our Majin friend. No, I'm not going to have the boss wandering around with a bunch of Nothics. Spinning Mimics are good. We just had a Spinning Mimic fight also, unfortunately, so I'm leaning towards using, like, what killed the Majin. Um, probably either Cold Light Walkers or just one of these various creepy Far Realm creatures that came through one of the portals. Players track the mage and finding it just as a Terran reality. Well, the problem, Refus, um, and I like that, but the timing, um, if they long rest, that's literally eight hours, and the mage doesn't stop. So the problem is there's no way for them to catch. If I want the mage to have not reached its destination, all that had to have happened in the past, because this thing, you know, it's not making great time necessarily, but this area is not very big, and it's literally not stopping. It doesn't tire, it doesn't rest, it's Terminator. 
Um, but I, so if they find it after the fact, it has to have been after something had happened, something had torn it away. I can turn it into a cool horror moment where like they track it down and it's like, yeah, it's been like ripped in half and, uh, no, cause it, uh, unfortunately the bodies disappear, don't they? Ah, uh, that's kind of a bummer. I guess I could change that. I think, I think it literally says the bodies... The Majin dies, its body disintegrates in a harmless burst of fire and smoke, leaving behind anything it was wearing or carrying. So I guess it's literally like a Jedi, <laughs> or literally the body just disappears and it's just the clothes left behind. So I wouldn't be able to necessarily do a really body horror thing, but they could at least find the robes torn apart. And yeah, maybe I can use... I could probably go with a cool horror angle on that. We'll use we'll use one of the use one of the horror things. That would be probably a good effect for that. Put the lower down. So many tabs. Look at all of these and determine uh, ones will be most fun. But also picking and choosing and making sure I don't like clog things down too much because you could really slow down the whole pacing. Um, by throwing too many of these encounters at them, I, you know it's a it's a tough balance between wanting this area to be very, um, not just sitting, you know, waiting for the players to interact with it, but actually having things going wrong. Because the big thing I want to create is that this is a it's a nuclear facility and it's like alarms blaring, ready to explode, basically. And that's the uh, in, instead of you know radioactivity going up or something like that it's it's these far realm incursions being created everywhere as a result of the mithlar kind of being in a malfunctioning but still powerful state uh so we'll we'll put it together an encounter for that that's going to be here at the uh street level i think i can use this map um in a couple ways this was Map I got from this folder. Uh, this is from a Google Drive folder. I think I found. This isn't from this one. Okay. Where did I get this map? Maybe I mentioned it last time. I have to go back to my own notes. <laughs> Fantastic map, either way. Um, maybe somebody on the Discord gave it to me. God, I need to remember these things. Uh, but I've already put that one together. I've got the lighting together. I've got the dynamic lighting. It's all been stuck in there. So we can try to use different parts of this map to dictate when they're running around and uh, triggering some of these interesting encounters with the Far Realm incursions happening. And you could even do a thing where like, it starts out like a Nothic fight, like a bunch of Nothics around a corner, and you roll initiative. And then literally maybe you know round one, they think they're fighting Nothics. And then round two, I suddenly have a portal open up like right next to them and you know something fucking creepy as shit comes out like this thing um you know the true juggernaut like emerges and just rips apart one of the nothics and then that becomes another fight for them or something insane i think that would be uh pretty awesome <laughs> if i do say so myself um so they might make it to the library if they do a beeline there the nice thing is if they follow the magen i'll have the magen tracks also lead them to Y6, which is importantly the uh, entrance to the spire. And now I've got too many tabs open. Where is it? Arcane Blight, Dry the Arcane Octad. This one also only has exploration being 
uh, that you get basically lore or jewelry or art objects or a drift globe or common magic item. I could create some slightly better table for that, but that's if you spend 30 minutes searching around. But also that should probably trigger one of the random things if you end up searching in that area. So that was by six. And what I'm gonna do here is make sure it's pretty obvious where you need to complete the Rite of the Arcane Octad. So have those uh, symbols there and then maybe have a magic mouth appear in Loros that actually uh, gives the instructions, you know, only uh, those who have uh, received permission from each of the high uh, wizards at the towers and learned the right of the arcane octad have permission to enter um, the what it's called central spire again. It is really called the spire of ear. What was it? Eerie Lorothus? Billy's heal this entire thing. It's called spire of Eurolothus. Okay. And then it was 23, just the Mythalar? Yeah, it's the Mythalar. Okay. Uh, maybe we'll just call it Central Spire. I don't know if it's interesting to name it after the dude. Um, but I'll make it pretty obvious. So early on, they should hopefully know what they have to do here. Is going to all these different towers. <laughs> I'm never going to get it. It's not going to happen. A monstrosity, not aberration. Oh, okay. I'll have to check that one out. Monstrosities could work too. I was just using um, abjurations. Oh, this would be a good one too. One's from uh, Eberron. Um, aberrations just seem to be kind of the more alien ass looking guys. That thing is definitely, definitely built for this CR7. Yeah, that could be fantastic. It possesses people. Great. Uh, the players would totally appreciate that because I haven't been doing that enough times. <laughs> Maybe not so much then. Although popping out and doing a fear spell. That, did I use this for the Wendigo stat block? Jesus, it can possess people and cast fear once per day. Man. And it can frighten as part of its attacks and it can grapple as part of its attacks. That's fabulous. Sukora Quarry. Fear monger and a relentless schemer. Yeah, I'll save you as a tab. So many good options. Teleported. I also derobe when pimping. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good reference. Yeah, Faram is too much, I guess. I mean, I'm almost tempted to just because they do tease that these things were afraid of Faram's or fought them. So I'm tempted to make one of these creatures just kind of canonically a Faram, basically. Um, I have to look back and see what the description was that they. Describe for Pharaohs, but maybe I can come up with it was some kind of tentacled thing. I think that lived technically in the Underdark, the Netherese, but maybe um, you know it's it's there. It's the things that they had fought, and maybe these portals are bringing them into uh, into Aetherin uh, for that's maybe that the Mythalar is like drawing to them or vice versa or whatever's happening. Um, so I, I can maybe make one of those. So maybe in the museum they find like the you know remains of one of these kinds of creatures in there, and they're like, oh shit, that's the thing that's been, uh, that they've had a history with. It might be slightly interesting. Um, so we've got the Spire. We're going to have an encounter here that's going to be kind of a horror encounter. Uh, we've got the Tower of Abjuration. 
uh, I think pretty much locked up. The whole Mithalar thing, they cannot get through. It even says that the far the uh, portal like extends into the ethereal realm. They can't get through it. They can't dispel it. It's just DM, you know, locked down completely. The only thing they can do is go around to these towers, which I believe are these ones that separate it. Y4, Y, or surround it. Y4, Y26, Y22, Y20, uh, Y7. Um, I think one of them is destroyed here, but I believe is not destroyed. Is that Y18 over there? I shouldn't have to make a different map art for it then. Yeah, the Tower of Necromancy. So as written, it's just literally destroying those bunch of crawling claws rolling around. Um, and you just dig through the remains of it. Um, I don't actually, hmm. I wonder if I should change where the tower is. Or if that is the case for the Tower of Necromancy. I forgot about that one. It's, it's a clearly destroyed looking on the map. One, two, three, four, five, six. Where are the other ones? Eight of them. Oh, 11, I bet, is one of them. The one up here. They're not exactly surrounding it. Oh, and then what's the other one? One is evocation. Twenty two is illusion. Twenty four. The one we're missing. Where is twenty four? Keeper Sutherland, where are you? Why? How far down does it go? Oh wow, it does go all the way down there. Okay, twenty four is way out there. Tower of Enchantment. Um. Yeah, that'd be an easy one for one of the NPCs to take care of because it's so far out there, and that's one I wouldn't mind them to take care of also. So if they could be sent down this way. The bummer is I do love 22. I would hate to lose that one because it's one big RP scenario, and it's freaking awesome. But we'll see. Maybe maybe I can't convince the players to split up, and maybe I don't want to. Maybe I'm just like, hey, fuck it, you guys can do all the things, and... I'll let them split up and try to hand, or just say like, hey, we'll go down and take care of this one tower, which is this one down at 24, and the rest of you can go do all that, and then maybe they'll meet up at, you know, some point during another tower and figure it out from there. But I'm assuming I'm only going to have to prep this intro area, and that's where they're going to get to for the purpose of, the, of this session. But it is kind of nerve-wracking because I'm not sure exactly where they're going to go or what they're going to do. Um, are they going to check out the stadium, which case I've got... The stadium set up. I'll need to do a few more prep for that because I think I might be able to come up with hopefully more interesting rules um, when we spawn the opposing Majin uh, to do this little match right here. I'm also not sure whether to put them on the map for this purpose or because I feel like they would be thinking combat maybe and and maybe moving around and it. I don't necessarily need to make it that tactical. Or maybe that'd be more interesting if you put everybody in combat and have them roll or do actions on their turn and really turn this into a cool sporting match. I mean, I guess if I really expanded it, you can almost turn this into a full session. And it's not just technically a side thing, by the way, because the Expanded Towers of Etherin makes it a main quest thing. In order to complete the Towers of Evocation and get the the line that they need, the Rite of the Arcane Octad, um, they need to get the trophy from here, and then only with that trophy can they pass through the uh, display cases in the Tower of Evocation, 
and then they can um, get the information they need once they've entered that area. So basically the trophy becomes the key and you, you only earn the trophy here if you actually win this game. Or I would, as a falling, failing forward thing, and I believe it does mention this in Expanded Towers as well, if they fail at getting the trophy, then the mage and do not take it because in the, the book says if, if you fail, then they take the trophy and disappear. So you've just lost this kind of art object. Although I believe it comes with a stone of good luck if you actually win the game. But at this point, actually I might need to up that treasure. I don't know. I don't know if they keep the treasure afterwards or not. The stone of good luck isn't that great. Um, I guess you have to make it a plus two. Instead of a plus, I think it's a plus one. Um, but obviously they won't grab it and disappear. They would just stay there and surround it and uh, take it. And then you could turn it into an easy combat fight and just have it, hey, now the, now you have to fight all these uh, mages in order to get it, which would not be that hard. I mean, these are a uh, bunch of CR3s. Um, they can cast lightning bolts, I guess, kind of low-powered lightning bolts, which is pretty nice. But uh, otherwise, they don't have a whole lot of defenses. Oh, I could have the defenses here, like, end up attacking them in some ways. But maybe that's more interesting if I have everybody roll for initiative and then do different things on your turn. Um, I think it's basically as written as just a game of dodgeball, which I don't know how much fun that is <laughs> to actually play out. You're just making athletics checks and uh, throwing the balls around. Uh, maybe I could come up with something where different players can do different things. Um, I'm trying to think about how, like, like an actual sport works, like some people have to play, you know, defense uh, or offense, or you protect the person with the ball, <laughs> like you're, you could be an offensive lineman uh, or a receiver or something. Really make everybody play some football here. Uh, that could be that could be really fun. I think something different too, just a memorable sporting match. Uh, other than a bunch of skill checks, which is otherwise what it breaks down into. It does. Uh, I believe there's a sidebar for this too. Uh, or not? Is it here? No, it's here. Pain Lightning. Two teams of six players compete against each other. Uh, I could make it just five on five. That would be the easiest thing. Unless Valen's with them, then I could make it six. Um, a team must eliminate each other's players by hitting them with a three-inch diameter iron ball. That's a small three-inch diameter? That's a baseball, isn't it? Jeez. Players struck by the thrown ball is eliminated and teleported to the sidelines. The game ends when all of one team's players have been eliminated. The game begins an iron ball magically appears in a random location on the arena floor roughly equidistant from the two teams. The ball is a simple ranged weapon with the finesse and thrown properties. It ranges 120 feet and it deals 1d floor bludgeoning damage on a hit. Step 1. Each player makes an athletics check. The individual with the highest roll gets the ball. And that person's team is on offense. Resolve a tie with an athletics contest. Simulate the ball being passed around. Every player makes a DC 15 athletics check. If the team on offense gets more successes than the team on defense, one player on offense can try to either hurl the ball between the metal tines of electrified mask, mask, hoping to impart an electrical charge to the ball, or make a range of attack with the ball against a player on defense. But the, the weird thing is, though, if you read the rules, you might as well always just hurl it at an enemy, because if you hurl it through the electrified things, you could always it could be the enemy team's ball, and they could now get an electrified ball. Hurling the ball... Between the times of electrified mass requires a successful ranged attack roll against AC 15. If the attack hits, the ball becomes electrically charged as it passes between the times, but then you have to repeat step one to determine which team gets custody of the ball. So you don't necessarily get it back. It's just up to that uh, athletics check. Which, do these things have any kind of athletics? Okay, that feels like a huge oversight on the game's 
uh, point of view then that the AI has literally a plus zero to its athletics? Isn't athletics strength? So I feel like I need to change the stats on these things to make it more interesting because a plus zero, like most players are going to be able to beat that and the ones that are trained in athletics are definitely going to beat that. I do want some challenge there. The ball is thrown to play on defense and it hits. The player struck by the ball is eliminated. The ball is electrically charged when it hits. It deals an additional 26 lightning damage to the eliminated player. Arc of lightning shoots the ball and makes it another randomly determined player on the same team. There's a chance of eliminating more than one player. This is... And then they only have an AC of 14 in terms of hitting them also. So I also might just have to scale up these uh, participants. So I don't know how interesting it is. It basically just dodgeball where you make constantly athletics or ranged attacks. Uh, which... Yeah, so hopefully we can come up with something that's a little more interesting and then the players will be uh, more engaged with that and then maybe we can actually use this map and have the players be on here rolling initiative and have an actual sports match versus a bunch of skill checks back and forth. I think that could be cool. And again, it's not... Uh, it's interesting because they think it's going to be a side quest thing and then they'll get this treasure, which is a pretty good piece of treasure. I just freaking close the window. Um, but it's actually worth like almost 2,000 gold or something ridiculous. Treasure can't be removed from its pedestal. The trophy cup is made from mithril embedded with three blue gemstones and is worth 1,800 gold pieces. And while carried by a member of the winning team, it functions as a stone of good luck. It doesn't say if it requires attunement, but I guess it does. Notability checks and saving throws. I would maybe increase that to a plus two. Just because the players have good shit. They're level 13 now and... Uh, I don't think they have to actually give it up in order to gain the the uh, thing they need from the Tower of Vacation. I have to check that. So that we'll need to prep. We'll need to prep the um, the encounter that rips apart the Majin, because I'm liking that idea. Got the Tower of Abjuration pretty much prepped. And then the Mythalar thing will just be a scene, essentially. I guess just in case I'll have to look at the freaking museum and then this Reunion Arena Tower um, in case they end up going in that direction, which the museum I think is empty but a bunch of Nothics in there, so you could turn that into a little mini dungeon fight thing. God, there's a lot of work to do here for Aetherin. <laughs> it's a lot. I still have a lot of work to do, but... Uh, it's already been an hour, so I think that's going to do it for this Thursday edition of Crafting Ice Window. If you enjoyed the content, please check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. Shouts to Platinum Patrons, Joe, Will, Thomas, Stan, William, Brandon, Genocider, David, Eclectic, Roleplay, Role, Christopher, Brian, William, David, Corey, Koa, 1337, Matthew, Big Nut, John, John, Furnace, Chris, Scott, and Gene. And Gold Patrons, RPG, Papercrafts, Pretty Boy, and Yuma, Marcus, Dead Lizard, Lion, Sam, Lumpy Spuds, Jerome, Nathan, Fasica, Tortoise, Scott, Refus, Carolyn, and William. Thank you all very much for your support. I will see you for D&D tomorrow night.